Let's start in Ezekiel chapter 47. Might be that's a weird place to start. But it'll make sense now. Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 5. It says this, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing or flowing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate. It faces toward the east, and behold, the water was trickling on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. In verse five, again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen, it was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. I'm not gonna read the whole chapter, but if you carry on reading, it talks about how this river flows into the countryside and says where there's salt springs, where there's almost like dirty water, where the river flows, those springs become fresh. And it says where the river flows on the sides of that bank of this river, trees begin to grow up. And it says that those trees, that their fruit and their leaves become the healing of the nation. And so we're a revival church. If you didn't know that about about insight, we pursue revival, our mandate. We would call it awakening, another word for revival. Our, Our mandate is revival. And so Ezekiel 47 paints a picture, it's an analogy of revival, but not in a way that we think of revival. When we think of revival, we think, of the gathering. We think of people coming here, coming to the house to, to, to get healed, coming to get delivered, coming to get saved. But I wanna tell you that another aspect of revival is not only the gathering. Yes, there is the gathering, but there's the sending out. You'll see in Ezekiel chapter 47, it says it starts at the temple. It said the water was starting. It had flowed from the house of God. And as it flowed, became deeper and deeper and deeper and more and more and more effective. We see this terminology in John chapter seven, verse 37 to 39, let me read it for you. Jesus talking of the Holy Spirit says this. says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is talking about you and I. This is Ezekiel 47. We are, we carry the river of God. We carry the river of Christ. We carry the river of life. That wherever we go, we bring revival. And this is the blueprint. If we look at the Gospels and we look at the book of Acts, this is what the original revival looked like. Jesus would go as a river. He would go from town to town. 
He would go from city to city. He would go to the synagogue. He would go to the streets. He would go to the broken. Same with the book of Acts. They would go out. They would go into the streets of Jerusalem. Then they would go out into Judea, then into Samaria, then to the rest of the world. Paul and Barnabas, they would go. They would go as a river. When Jesus came into the earth and after he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon him, he didn't build a big house. He didn't build this big mansion and just sit there on his chair and wait for people to come to him. He went out. And we see wherever they went, wherever Jesus went, there was revival. He would go and he would heal the sick. He would raise the dead. He would cleanse the leper. He would cast out demons. And Crowds would gather around him and 5,000 people would come to listen to the words he's speaking. 5,000 people would come to, 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 to witness the miracles that this man is performing. He went. He didn't stay, but he went. In Acts chapter 19, I want to give you another example from the book of Acts. I'm going to read from verse 11 to 20. This is Paul, a river. Not a dam, not a well. Paul, a river of revival. Verse, Acts chapter 19, verse 11. So God is, Paul has gone to the city of Ephesus and it says this about him. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. We'll skip the next couple of verses. That's just about the sons of Sceva. Remember that, that scripture? Well, they saw what Paul was doing. They tried to do what he was doing. Didn't work very well for them. In verse 18, it says, also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so what happens is like Ephesus, these people were weird back in the day. Like they literally worshiped idols. And so Ephesus was the home of the idol called Diana. And so they, all the craftsmen there, they would make this idol. They say this, it fell from the sky. It's just like weird, you know, and this, this is this, the God that they serve. And so Paul comes to this town and he's taking people away from the worship of Diana to the worship of Christ. And so what happens in the next couple of verses is that the blacksmiths and the tradesmen, they start like freaking out and saying, no one's gonna buy our idols anymore because everyone's, because Paul's turning everyone to Jesus. And so in verse 26, he's bringing his case to the people and he says, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, listen, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And so what I want us to see, when we look at the original revival, firstly in the gospel, and then in the book of Acts, revival rested upon people. Revival rested upon a person. Revival rested upon a group of people. 
not necessarily on a location. And so we look at church history and we see God does, he, he chooses a location. But what we've done is we've, we've said, well, that's revival. When God comes and his glory falls on a location and everyone comes there. That's the A part of it. But there's a B part when we look at the blueprints in the Bible. It's not only the coming in, but there's the going out. There's the sending, there's the river, there's the carrying of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about being a river, I'm not talking about being a missionary or being a fivefold evangelist, but as I said in the title, it's just about being a witness. Every one of us sitting here tonight, as a believer, we are called to be a river. We are called to be a witness. We can't just come here and sit and wait for God to bring them here and wait for them to be healed here, wait for them to be delivered here, wait for them to get saved here. How many people are in here tonight and how many people are out there tonight? They're not here. So what do we do? Do we just like, oh, shame, okay, they're missing out? Come to church or eight o'clock, let's go home. Is that it? Is that revival? Or do they need revival too? The Hindu woman in the hospital. That was revival. That for her, for that family, that's revival. That's an awakening to Christ. And so in Acts chapter one, Jesus says this, talking to the believer. Verse eight, Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Every one of us is called to be a witness. But what I want us to see this evening is that there's, there's two parts to being this river two parts to being this witness. The first one, if you think about this in my left hand, would be the declaration of the gospel. Remember, this is the, I'm looking at the biblical blueprint. I'm looking at how, how Jesus did it. I'm looking at how the apostles did it in the book of Acts. They did these two things. There was the declaration of the gospel, but then there was the demonstration of power. Not one or the other, both working together. I always use Innes for my examples. <laughs> and he's never very happy with me. As long as I'm not Satan again. This no, you're not Satan, you're an unbeliever now. <laughs> I don't know if that's worse than Satan. <laughs> so, my goal is to get Innes saved. He's, he's deceived. Okay, let's call you John. <laughs> let's call him John. John, John. John is, he's, John. He, Johan, <laughs> oh, he's Afrikaans. He's shrouded by the enemy. He can't see the light of the gospel. So I come to John, I'm out in the streets. And so I've got in my two hands, I've got the declaration of the gospel. 
and I've got the demonstration of power. If I'm pushing against this thing to get him saved with one hand, I can only go so far. But when I put the two hands together, there's more power. Thank you for being unsafe. <laughs> and so throughout the Gospels and throughout the book of Acts, we see this demonstration of the river. We see this demonstration of the witness. And we see the, the power and we see the result that comes forth from it where it's the two hands working together constantly. It's the declaration of the gospel and the demonstration of power. There's two examples I wanna show you, again, in the book of Acts. In Acts, I'll just for time, I'll just give you a, a little scenario. Acts chapter two, verse one to eight, what's happening is that the, the apostles are all gathered in the room, right? We know the story. They're in one place in one accord and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And so they're not actually speaking tongues as we know it. What it says is that they're actually speaking the languages of the people around them. What's happening in Jerusalem at that moment is there's a, there's a feast. And so Jews from all different nations, like the, the guys will say, it's like, from Cyrene and from this place and this place, they've all come to Jerusalem to gather for this feast. And so what happens is there's a demonstration of power that's taking place in this moment where the apostles are endued with power to speak in tongues, but that are actually languages. And what, is, what these guys say is like, how can this be? These guys are Jews, they are Galileans, but yet we hear them speaking in our own native language, the miracles and the signs and the wonders of God. And so this is a sign, this is a miracle, this is a wonder, this is a demonstration of power that they see taking place. And what happens in the next moment is that Peter sees the opportunity and he begins to preach. He begins to tell them about Jesus and about his crucifixion. And he begins to, and a, a favorite part, let me find it. Uh, verse 37 of Acts 2. And now when, so Peter gives this, he gives this sermon. He gives, so we've had the demonstration of power, right? The, the speaking of tongues in unknown language or in a language that is known. Then we had the demonstration of the gospel. And this is their response. It's in verse 37. It says, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Fast track down to verse 41. And about 3,000 were saved that day. The demonstration or the declaration of the gospel and the demonstration of power working together, 3,000 saved. And this is like the heading chapter is like Peter's first sermon. <laughs> Acts chapter three, it happens again. The demonstration of power, the declaration of the gospel. So Peter and John, we know the story. They're on their way to the temple. They walk past this beggar, or not a beggar, he's a lame man. He's, he's at the gate, beautiful. And so he looks up to them. He says, what does he say? Oh, he asked him for money, right? So he's like, because that's what like, they were legally allowed to do that. They had special garments that they could ask for money. So he, this layman, he looks to Peter and John. He says, please can I have some silver? Please can I have some gold? They look at him and say, silver and gold have we none, but what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And so they pull this man up, this man who has been crippled 
for years. All of a sudden, he's pulled up and his legs are made strong. And it says he begins to leap and he begins to jump and he begins to praise God and he goes into the temple with him celebrating. What happens? A crowd comes. Peter's like, whoa, this is a good time for another sermon. And so again, the demonstration of power and he begins to declare the gospel. He declares the gospel and this time, 5,000 people get saved. And so it's always these two working together. Jesus said that we are witnesses. You know what a witness is? It's, it's one who gives evidence of what they have seen or heard. A demonstration of power is evidence of the declaration of the gospel. I say again, a demonstration of power. When I talk about demonstrations of power, I'm talking about words of knowledge, um, healing, what Jonathan, exactly what Jonathan did. He got a word of knowledge about this lady, just absolutely amazing, to the haircut, to the age, to the problem in her body, and then going out and laying hands and praying. That's demonstration of the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. And so I wrote this in my notes, to be an effective witness, to be the river that brings forth revival, we must partner both the, de the declaration of the gospel and the demonstration of power. This is the biblical blueprint. And so let's look at the declaration of the gospel. If you go with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 17, it says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. He looks at the believers, he looks at the disciples and he says this, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And that word wasn't just to the apostles, that's to every believer. And so when we see here in Romans chapter 10, when it says, how beautiful, it says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? You are a sent one. I am a sent one. When you got born again, you signed up as a sent one. And so the reality is this, that Jesus isn't gonna come again. <laughs> Don't stop there. Imagine you stop there. <laughs> Jesus isn't gonna come again and walk the earth like he did. When he comes again, we know he's coming with riding on a white horse, sword in his mouth, a very different Jesus to the one that walked the earth. The apostles aren't gonna resurrect out their tombs, you know, and, and come and walk the earth and be the witnesses again. That's our responsibility now. 2 Corinthians says, who, who's been given the ministry of reconciliation? We have. My responsibility, my ministry, you might think, oh, I'm not called to ministry. Hello, wake up call. You are called to ministry. Come on. Every one of us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Reconciling man to God. We have a responsibility. We are the sent ones. And what's so amazing about this is like we go out there and we, we declare the gospel. And, and when I read then Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it's like 
the gospel message is just, it's, it's almost strange. It's just words that we speak. It's truth that we speak, yet it cuts the heart of men and women. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, it says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And so when we go out and we, we be that river, we be that witness, when we declare the gospel, whether it's Jesus loves you or John chapter three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whatever it is, whether it's short, whether it's long, I mean, Peter's was really long. Looks like the longer you go, the more souls you get. <laughs> It's only one sentence, you get 10. You know, and so it's like, what, however it looks, when the gospel comes, it has the ability, we don't have to persuade. You know, we don't have, we don't have to convince. Just give the gospel. It's, it, it's power within itself to perform. I don't have to convince. And so we have to be very, very careful because these days people will tell you, well, don't, don't. That's too confrontive. That's politically incorrect. You can't say it. It's old fashioned. The preaching of the gospel is what gets mankind saved. And we have to have our hands ready. In my hand, the declaration of the gospel. Father Abba, I love that. What do you want me to do today? I want you to go to the hospital, son. I want you to tell someone about the gospel. And so I wake up every day with the declaration of the gospel. Think about this. Someone's salvation is in your hand. Their eternal Reality, whether they go to hell or whether they go to heaven, it's in your hand. But yet we're content just to come to church. And we, Lord, we're having revival. And yes, we are. But there's more than that. Revival isn't just for the church. Revival's for the lost too. This is what we see in Jesus. This is what we see in the apostles. Where the believer is, the gospel must be shared. So that's our left hand. What about our right hand? In our right hand, demonstrations of power, miracles, signs, and wonders. What's so amazing about these things is exactly what we read in the book of, or what I mentioned in the book of Acts is when you see the, look, the life of Jesus, there would be demonstrations of power, the, the, the sick being healed, the, the dead being raised, whatever it is, it always draws attention to the Father. And that's why it's called a sign. It's, what, what does a sign do? A sign points to something. And so when I reach out and, and I lay my hands on the sick and they get healed, it's not a sign that points to me. It's a sign that's pointing to the healer. It's a sign that's pointing to a greater reality that there's someone who loves you. His name is Jesus and he is a healer. And so you can't, you can't dispute miracles, signs and wonders. I wanna read Acts chapter four, verse 16. Talking about the, 
The same one we were talking about now when the guy, the beggar was healed, the crippled man was healed, the gate beautiful. The Pharisees, they like, they've had enough. You know, they thought they killed Jesus. Now these guys are doing the same works. And so Peter and John have healed this, this, this lame man and the Pharisees have arrested them and they're having this conversation amongst themselves and they say this in Acts chapter four, verse 16. He says, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. When someone gets healed, if you go to someone, you pray for the back and the pain goes, they cannot, you, you cannot dispute that. It's absolute evidence of the reality of the kingdom, of the reality of Jesus Christ. I remember Ati and I, we went to, to Addington. I don't know if you remember this one. So we went, we had a relationship, one of the nurses, and so we always got into Ward 4B, it was the ladies' ward. After they, they'd always, it was like, I think it was like the broken bone ward or something. It is it, yeah. Orthopedic, oh, there we go. Because they were always like, just had surgery on their legs and stuff like that. And so we walked to the one section and there was a young girl. Um, she was the first bed that we approached. And we said, hey, can we, you know, this is what we're doing. Can we pray for you? She's like, no, don't, don't talk to me. Don't pray for me. I don't want anything to do with you. So we're like, okay, cool. No worries. It's fine. Bless you. As Jonathan said, you know, you've got to be like, can't force anything. So we go to the other beds and we pray for people. Some of them got healed. And so what she does, she's looking at us. She's watching us to see what we're doing. And she sees that someone else gets healed. So we're about to walk out of that section. She calls us to her bed. And she says, please pray for me too. <laughs> Listen to this. We pray for her. She gets healed. She then gets out of her bed. I don't know, where's Ati? Do you remember this? <laughs> And then she starts walking with us to the other beds. And she, no offense to Ati, Zulu is not his strongest. (laughs) 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 Language of communication. So she becomes our interpreter. (laughs) And so she helps us from this lady who, who, who was so anti what we were doing. But when she saw God move, when she saw the demonstration of power, when she saw someone else get healed and experience it for herself, she was convinced this, this is real. You know, and she becomes our interpreter. And like the whole evening, she walks around with us to the other beds and she tells them, can you do these guys? Oh, I don't know, not that I do, but you know. <laughs> Looking at her later, shucks. You can help me, yeah. And she starts telling, these guys are here, they want to pray for you. So we pray for them. And I said, can I ask you if there's any pain? She goes, it was just, but the thing is like, what I want to say is that she can't, she couldn't deny it. When demonstrations, when you get a word of knowledge for someone and they walk up and says, sorry, sir, do you have pain in your back? Like, who are you? How did you know that? It's like, there's a God in heaven who knows you. And he told me this because he loves you. That sticks. And so I, I, I use that. I use the, 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 this thing that God has put in my hand of raising the dead, of healing the sick. And this is the thing, it's not, it's not just for the apostles. It's not just for Jesus. It's for every believer. 
And I think that's the mistake that we make is that we say, Lord, because the thing is that a lot of people are comfortable to declare the gospel, but there's a very small percentage that step out in demonstrations of power. And so all of us, I'm sure we've shared the gospel, we've loved on someone, but if we had to take a percentage here, it would probably be a very small percentage of us that have actually stepped out and prayed for the sick or given a word of knowledge. And so the question is why? Why are we comfortable to use the left hand but not to use the right hand at the same time? So we're gonna answer those questions in five minutes. That's what we got. But I'm almost finished, so it'll be fine. So the first one is this, is that a lot of Christians are stuck in the previous dispensation where the sick were brought to the Catherine Coleman's and the Amy Simple McPherson's. And so we would have these big crusades where the man or the woman of God would stand on the stage and all the sick would come to them. And everyone else would sit and watch and clap. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke, if you remember the problem with religion, not discerning the seasons of God. And that was a season how God worked. But that's not the season anymore. See, they demonstrated to the church, to the average believer, how it's supposed to be done. And then God changed the season. And we got a revelation of Mark chapter 16 where it says every believer goes out. Every believer lays hands on the sick. Every believer raises the dead. Every believer casts out demons. But if my mind is stuck there, I'm not gonna do it because, well, I'm not a fivefold minister. I'm not called. I'm not anointed. But you are. You are called and you are anointed. Mark chapter 16. Let me read it for you in case you forgot. 15 to 18. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. That's you, that's me. We are the believers. In my name, they will cast out demons. When was the last time you cast out a demon? How long have you been saved? Have you ever cast out a demon? And that's not confronting, it's challenging. But this is the gospel. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. We like to say this often, it's the great commission, not the great suggestion. <laughs> and so to say, as a Christian, that you're not called to heal the sick, is unbiblical. No, it's just for, it's for Josh and Innes and Levi and Jabin and Jonathan. They have an anointing, they're called to do it. 
that's actually wrong understanding. That's actually wrong thinking. We're all called to be the river. We've all got the anointing. We've all got the calling to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to cleanse the leper. It's for all of us. The other reason why there's a small percentage of us that do this is because we know it's, we're supposed to be doing it. We know we're anointed, we know we're called, but we lack the boldness to do it. And so there's this question that we have, what if nothing happens? My answer to you is, what if something does happen? See, our responsibility is not to heal them. You can't in yourself, in your, what do they call it, your mantra or your, your weird vibes that you have, you know, your energies buzzing like a weird thing. Yeah. You can't heal somebody. Jesus heals them. That's his responsibility. My responsibility, your responsibility is to be obedient to the commission. Go. Be a witness. Be a river. Lay your hands. Tell those things to leave. And then watch him do it. And so, luckily for us, the Bible gives us many remedies for the lack of boldness. And the first one, I'll just mention them for the lack of time. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31, the disciples are being persecuted. And so they said, God, we need boldness to continue preaching this gospel and to continue healing the sick. And so they pray for boldness. And it says, the place where they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to preach the word of God with all boldness. If you lack boldness, first of all, pray. Very simply. Ask God, Father, give me the boldness to do this. Give me the boldness to be a witness. Give me the boldness to be a river. Secondly, in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, the wisdom of God, when Jesus is sending out the apostles, he didn't send them by themselves, he sent them out two by two. And so what I find personally is that I find it much easier to witness when I'm with somebody else than when I'm by myself. It's weird, it's just like this thing, just I don't even know what this thing is. It's like all of a sudden you just become so brave and you become so bold and you're like, trying words of knowledge and like, hey, can I pray for you? And, da, 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 and you're approaching. I mean, who was it? That was you. Or who was it? Ryan. And it was Calissa. Yeah, Ryan, Calissa, and Tuli. We walked past, we were doing some evangelism in Florida Road. We walked past Dropkick Murphys. I think it was Ryan's like, I think we need to go inside Dropkick Murphys. And I was like, sheesh. That <laughs> seems a bit hectic, you know? And so we walk in, like find the manager, um, so do you mind if we pray for people? I was so surprised, like, yeah, please, just pray for anybody you like. <laughs> do whatever you want. And it's like, but you, like, you look at the facade, you look on the outside, it's like dark, and it's like alcohol, and it's like weird stuff going on here. <laughs> and if I was by myself, I would never have gone inside. 
true. But it's like their boldness, their courage made me courageous. And that's the final point to boldness is hang around people with boldness. It's contagious. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 14 where it talks about how Israel is like, they're hiding in caves, they're hiding in dens. They're scared of the Philistines, but funny enough, Jonathan rises up. He says, no, stuff these guys. And he takes his armor bearer and he climbs up a mountain and he starts killing them. And so the other Israelites see what he's doing and all of a sudden they become courageous. Because of the boldness of Jonathan, the courage of Jonathan, they too become courageous. And so if you, if you struggle in this area, you struggle to be a witness, find someone here. There's lots. I call them out by name. Find someone who has the courage. Find someone who has the boldness and say, hey, I know you guys do this. You go here, you do this. You go to the hospital, you pray. Please can I come with you? And it may be the first time you just stand back and you just watch. But I guarantee you, you're gonna catch the bug. Not from the hospital. <laughs> but the bug of courage. You're gonna catch the boldness because you hang around with people that are courageous. You hang around with people that are bold. And so like I said, I understand this, is, this can be a challenging message but we are accountable for what God has given us. We are not called to get saved and to sit down. We are called to be saved and then to get others saved. And God's given us these tools. He's given us the declaration of the gospel and he's given us these demonstrations of power. And this is revival. All of us here, we wouldn't be here on a Sunday evening if we didn't have a heart for revival, a pursuit for revival. And so we, we have the in-house gathering, yes. We have the presence of God. We have the, the amazing encounters of worship. We, we have the rolling on the floor and the filling of the Spirit and the healing. And we have all of that, and that's revival. But it's not the full picture of revival. The full picture is that the, the river from here flows out to there. And we carry that river. We are the river of God. And so I want to encourage you, don't like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, next week, tomorrow, challenge yourself. Choose like the most unhectic person, like an old granny or something. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's weird because you'll get so nervous to talk to an old granny and tell it, it's weird. <laughs> To tell them that Jesus loves them or she's got to, to pray for an old granny. It's just like, just get over it. She's gonna say, the worst thing she's gonna say is like, oh, sorry, Sonny. <laughs> I don't need prayer. I'm okay. Wow, persecution. <laughs> you know? And that's it. No one's gonna chop your head off. They're not going to put you on the cross. The worst thing they're going to say is, no, thank you. Or, I don't believe in Jesus. Exactly. Just throw a little, throw a little seed and let God water it. 
Amen. So, you guys ready to do this? Yes. Amen. All right. Bless you guys. Cool.